Well, good morning. <clears throat> I'm supposed to say um, a good morning from Romans. <laughs> Roman and Irene are actually, they listen in on Sunday mornings, and then they, since they're an hour difference, then they can go to church after the message if it doesn't go too long. God is good. All the time, God is good, yes. Praise the Lord for that, even though um, at times we do experience Job, God is still good. I've been uh, reading in my devotional through the red letters, just, I don't know, I just wanted to do that. And so I was going through Luke and, or through John, and a portion just jumped out to me, and so I'd like to share it. What is God's purpose for sending Christ? And I'm sure all of us have an answer. And if I open it up, probably most of us would have, the answer would be about the same. So I would like to look at John 3, and I want to start with verse 14, go to verse 21. Now, Jesus was talking here to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, he couldn't, quite understand how a man can be born again. And then in verse 14, I'm just jumping in a thought here, but as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we know the story of why the serpent was raised. It's because the servants would bite and people would die. If you got snake bitten, you would you would lose your life. Well, God was told uh, Moses to put this uh, bronze um, snake up, and if you get bit, you look to the snake, and you were saved. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying here now, as we go down through here. Look to the cross, and you'll be saved. And we're going to be smitten by thoughts, and we're going to be smitten by temptations, and we're going to be, we're in a world that is full of hatred and full of chaos against Christian ideas. And we're, we're, we're so, um, yeah, we're going to get bit. And that's why we need to look to the cross. Okay, verse 15, and whosoever believeth in him, and that's uh, the Son of Man that is lifted up, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So we see the motivation behind God sending his son into the world is because of love. And we say, well, does God love the world? Does he love? And I would like to have you, when I use that word love, I want you to, I'm going to try to say people. Because God does not love the things of the world, but he loves the people of the world. And so when he's saying that um, he gave his life for, for those in the world, he gave his life for the people. God didn't approve of most of the people on earth because of their lifestyle. And I would say, look around you. Does God approve of what's happening? What's happening even in the churches? Does God approve of that? And we know that man has no escape from the wrath of God. And so we're looking at, um, we're going to be looking at something here shortly. But, you know, God is um, a loving God. And he is, there is a balance to his love that he is also going to destroy the world, the, not the people. Well, he will if you don't choose him, but he's going to destroy his wrath. And we can start seeing some of that already happening where the ground is shaking and, and it's just uh, the wrath of God. It, no man can stand against it. We can't escape it. The only way you can escape it is the cross. That's the only way that you're going to escape the wrath of God. A couple of verses I would like to turn to, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. In thinking about God why he sent was motivated out of love. First um, Timothy two four says, "Who will have all men to be saved?" Okay, let me do read verse three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man and the man Christ. So it is God's will that all of us, all men in this world to be saved. And so he sent his son to provide for that. And then if we go over a couple chapters, you'll find Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It kind of brings out the same thing of God loving the people, not rendering evil for evil, 
or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that all are there unto you called that we should be. I'm in the wrong chapter. Second Peter. I told you that, didn't I? I didn't turn to it. Second Peter, the Lord is not so slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So it's not the will of God for us to die in our sins. He has provided a way for us to be saved. And I am amazed at the mercy of God. And look at your life, and you'll see God's mercy. The penalty of sin is death. We know that. So how do you look at sin? But because of the mercy of God, Jesus came to buy back that which was lost. I'm going back to John 3 now. But God provided a way to purchase us back. We know the story of Adam and Eve and how God made this perfect world and how Adam and Eve sinned. And that sin nature has been passed on to us. And But yet, in that, God did not condemn us, but God loved us enough to send a, a perfect sacrifice for us, and we needed that. God established the fact that if we believe on Jesus, we will be saved. There are two things in John chapter 3 here that I read. Because of the love of God and because he doesn't want us to perish but have everlasting life, eternal life, and he desires that of us, he provided a way for us. And that was through Christ, who he sent down upon this earth and lived among us. And the second thing was, is he saved the people. Now, um, God established the fact that if we believe on Jesus, we our sins will be forgiven. Our sins will not be held against us. And possibly our journey of life, in your Christian journey, you're going to make mistakes. I almost guarantee you will. We're forgiven. God will forgive us for that. Because it's his desire that all the world be saved. And this word, the word is used in a way of preserving one who is in danger of destruction. Sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We are going to die and perish in our sinful life. But God provided a way to protect, to deliver us from that destruction. And it was through the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Through Jesus, we will be saved. 
Now, I'd like to go back to verse 17. It says, God sent his son into the world, sent not. So the question is, um, maybe I should say it this way. God, it was God's will to send his son to save us and to give us eternal life, it was not his will to do what people were accusing him of. And maybe we, in our thoughts, we are kind of the same way. It says, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn it, but he that believeth on him is condemned already. Do we see God as a condemning God, just sitting up there waiting for us to make a mistake, and if you do, boom. Is that how we we view God? To condemn is to decide mentally or judicially that someone is wrong. It is to try or punish someone. It is declared to be, or we declare that person to be wrong. We declare that person to be unfit. So that God sat there and look at us and say, you're unfit for the kingdom of God because of your lifestyle. Is that who God is or who Christ was? It says, no, Christ came not to condemn the world, but he came in to save it. And I wonder... Um, yeah, I wonder sometimes what our thought process is toward Christ. In John 12, verse 47, <clears throat> And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I am not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So think about, if any man hear my words and doesn't believe them, I'm not going to judge them. Now we, I can say all of you have believed that Jesus is the Son of God. But if we make a, if we do something in our life where we, kind of walk away from from God. Maybe we get too busy, we don't have time for God, or maybe we get wrapped up in things of this world maybe that is leading us away from a relationship with God. God isn't going to just sit there and judge us. He's going to bring us back into the fold and bring us back to where he wants and, and start working with you. And then John 8, or to illustrate that in John 8, I'd like to turn to that and read it. This is the story of the, they had brought the, um, this adulterous lady to Jesus and says, well, the law has told us how to deal with this lady. What do you say? Now, I can, we can be critical 
of maybe, or ask why they brought him to them. I'm just going to quick read John 20, 20, and think of that in the process as I'm reading through this. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they may take hold of his words, so that they may deliver him unto the power and authorities of the governor. So they were sending out spies to try to trap Jesus. So in this, I can see kind of that's what was taking place. It says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again unto the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, uh, that such should be stoned. What, but what sayest thou? The first clue of that is the word master. They did not look at Jesus as their master. So when they continued asking him, he lifted it up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they had heard it, they convicted, they were being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the Ellis, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the one standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And another clue we had was they were supposed to stone both, and they only brought the lady to him. But Jesus says here, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. So he does condemn sin, but he doesn't condemn us or the the person committing the sin. But he does, um, does ask us not to live in a a lifestyle of sin and expect to make it to to heaven. <clears throat> and then I want to go to John five forty five. Now that there he uses the word accuse but it, it would mean the same thing as a judge, as what a judge would. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. So Jesus saying, you know, even in this, I'm not standing at the right hand of the Father accusing you of everything you're doing. He's actually interceding for us because the accuser is Satan who is um, day and night is accusing us before, before God. 
But yet Jesus is sitting there. The cross. If you keep your eyes on the cross, even in your in the midst of your life, you will be saved. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be eternally saved because I do believe that you can choose to walk away, and I want to get to that here just very shortly. In Romans 8, verse 1, it says, There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, who hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. We, we condemn ourselves. You know, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And that's where grace and that's where the mercy of God comes in our lives. We make mistakes. I, I mean, all of you can sit here and look at me and say you have it. And I'm going to say, even at 67, I still make mistakes. I still need the grace of God. I still need um, his mercy. Because without it, I'm not going to make it to the finish end. So who condemns us? Well, going back to John chapter 3, um, <clears throat> Jesus condemns us not, but then he goes on to say, he that Believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not condemned, uh, believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we, it's our lifestyle that condemns us. And I could have read many verses but I chose not to, that talk about our, our speech, our, our actions, the things we... Our lifestyle condemns us, and it's not Christ, it's not people in the brotherhood, but it's our, our own selves that actually condemn us. Why do we not believe? Why are we condemned? It's because we love darkness rather than light. So what does that mean, to love darkness rather than light? We have choices in throughout the day. Maybe some days not too much, but yet we do. You know, maybe something pops up on our phone. We have a choice of choosing to look at it or not to look at it. Maybe a thought comes across in my mind. I can choose to dwell on it 
or not to dwell on it. Um, maybe a person will come to mind. I have a choice of, of having hatred or not having hatred. Darkness, light. We have choices all, of, all along. You know, we say, well, there's just a lot of gray area out there. In the eyes of God, I don't think there is. You know, either you're following after me, even though you may be in the gray area, but you're choosing darkness. It's almost like, um, uh, that word just left my mind, carnal. It's like being a carnal Christian, where we're, one eye is on Christ and one eye is on the world. And we can't live that life and expect to to please God. But yet, in that, I think we condemn ourselves. God, Jesus does not condemn, will not condemn us. Now, I will say there will be a time where Jesus will come back and he will condemn the people and we'll be with him. But as now under the New Testament, under the grace of God, we will not be condemned by God because God sent him his son to save us, not to condemn us. So how does that, in knowing that, how does that affect your thoughts toward your Christian life? Do you feel like there's an area in your life maybe it's not good? That's condemning. That's that's a, you condemning yourselves. But because of the mercy of God, you can change that and come back. Um, I want to read a verse in Romans 2. Romans 2 verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same thing. And that's going into my to another thought here, but we condemn ourselves when we judge other people. Can we say that we have never judged anybody or condemned a brother or condemned someone at your workforce? Have you made a condemning thought or uh, words or thoughts when you see somebody standing in the street corner with a sign, need work, need money. Are we judgmental toward those that are in need? Well, if they just get a job, or if they just get a better paying job, or, you know, we go on and on. We are condemned because we condemn ourselves. Always remember that. When you look at someone and criticize for their life, look at your life, and you'll find out that you have some of the same tendencies in your life. There are two things 
God has asked us as Christians to do. And that's what Christ was talking about in this passage in John 3. Love people. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. Love. Love even those who aren't your enemies, who aren't Christians. We're to love, and we're to love each other as in a brotherhood. And the second thing is we're not to condemn. So let's not condemn people. Let's love. Let that be the, the, the forefront of our thought process. You know, it's hard to condemn when you love. And if we love as God loved us, then we will not be condemning. And I want to read a verse in 1 John here in closing. John chapter 3. First John, sorry. <laughs> First John chapter 3. Verse 19 to 21. It says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So we have the assurance of salvation because of our life. We can look at the areas in our lives and know what our heart desires. And if we desire to follow Christ, to follow the light, then we're saved. You know, you hear people that just doubt their salvation. And I've commented sometimes, you know, like, yeah, there are some times where I wonder, well, is God really pleased with me? And he is. He's not pleased if you're living in sin, but he is pleased with you. He's working in your life. He's bringing things in your life to to a point where you totally trust as Job did. So I encourage you this morning, love with all your heart and quit condemning.